Hello, I'm Michael Timmons, your door-to-door storyteller, and I'd like to give you a story. This story is called The Test by Joe Potts. Even in the dim March morning light, I could see her quivering. She pressed against the side of the dilapidated shed, trying to make herself disappear into the wall. I stepped a bit closer, making the damp ground squish, and she whimpered and lowered her body. She wasn't looking at me, except maybe out of her extreme peripheral vision. I had the disheartening thought that she had learned from cruel experience not to look anyone in the eye. I turned my gaze toward the house, across the trash-strewn yard. No sign of her abuser. Good. Inching closer through the soft, muddy earth, I came almost within arm's reach of her. An unpleasant odor enveloped me. I wondered when she'd last had a bath. Another small shuffle, and I stretched out my hand toward her. She whimpered more loudly and ducked her head. Her body was trembling. She obviously was expecting to be beaten. How many times had this happened? It's okay, girl, I said. I'm your friend. I won't hurt you. I'm going to help you get out of here. She turned her head and almost looked at me. She seemed to be responding positively to my voice, but in a confused, hesitant way. I doubted she had ever heard a kind human voice. At this close range, I could see her damp, matted fur. Her body bore the evidence of long abuse, and her coat was spotted with old wounds with dried blood. Even in her condition, her pretty lab-mixed face touched my heart. I reached my hand to within inches of her head. There you go, pretty one. It's okay. Look at those pretty, pretty eyes. Sweet girl. Come on, pretty. Let me touch your sweet head. She moved her head alternately up, then down, obviously confused as to whether or not to trust me. She whimpered pathetically as my hand reached her. She was expecting a beating, I was sure. I touched her and stroked her fur. That's it, pretty. You're okay now. Everything's going to be okay. She turned toward me. She looked at me and started to rub her head against me. If it's possible to see relief in canine eyes, relief in never-before-felt joy, then I saw it in her eyes that day. I don't know who felt more happiness in that moment, her or me. She rubbed against me and looked fully at my face for the first time. I wasn't sure if my heart was breaking or bursting with joy. I unhooked the chain from her collar, scooped her up, and nestled her close to me. I could feel her bony frame shaking as she licked my face. Okay, pretty. Your life is about to get a major upgrade. Let's get out of here. I looked around one final time to make sure no one was around. If anyone had been present, they would have seen a vague apparition holding a dog. And then they would have seen empty air.
I became a member of the rescue squad shortly after my death. I had always wanted to be a member, even though I didn't know it when I was alive. I also didn't know that the rescue squad existed until after I was dead. Once you're dead, you realize a lot of things that the noise of life drowns out. Immediately after my death, St. Peter had met me at the gate. I recognized him right away, although I had never met him. It's hard not to be immediately awed by Pete, not because of his reputation, but because he's so large-souled. I immediately felt his strength and power. This guy wasn't called The Rock for nothing. We've been waiting for you, Daniel, he said. A lot of rescuing needs to be done. What on earth were you doing down there, if you'll excuse the expression? Turns out that's one of the most popular jokes here in Airside. Cracks us up every time. That's just one of the great things about the afterlife. Humor is forever. It doesn't matter how many times you've told a joke, people still laugh at it. It's like when you were five, and if something was funny once, it's hilarious a hundred times. Einstein told me he thinks it's because there's no real time in the afterlife. Time is a created property of the material universe. So you really are hearing the joke for the first time. Every time. Being Einstein, he's probably right. But he makes my head hurt. Pete was right, though. I had become entrapped in the bog of earthly life. It's hard to explain, I began, but he cut me off. Don't worry, I remember well enough. His large brows furrowed. I had some bad times myself down there. Well, we all knew that. At least I could take comfort in knowing that my low points hadn't been recorded in the good book for all eternity. But sadness doesn't last airside, and soon Pete was smiling again. Anyway, let's get you going in the rescue squad right away, he said. Time's a-wastin', if you'll excuse the expression. And he laughed. And I did, too. And not just because when Pete laughs it ripples through the heavens. No. It was because there's no time airside. And technically, I had never heard that one before. I was immediately made a rescue angel. Of course, we just use that name for convenience. We're not really angels, as the seraphim angelically like to remind us but we like to think that the good deeds we do are of a celestial nature. I was assigned to the underloved creatures division under the direction of Francis. Yes, that Francis. I was happy about that because, frankly, I could always relate to animals better than people. Franny is a wonderful soul and an inspirational leader. Kindness radiates from him and you can't help but be eager to spread that kindness. He makes you want to rescue poor creatures, not just for their own sake, but so you can see the joy in his face when an animal is delivered from misery. I love Francis for loving animals the way he does. After I had Pretty safely away from her tormentor, I materialized behind the refreshing paws no-kill shelter. I knew this place pretty well from when I was alive and considered it maybe the best shelter in western Pennsylvania. It was in an old building in an old part of an old town. 
but I knew firsthand that wonderful things were being done there by wonderful people, and it was perhaps more useful than it had ever been when it was bright and new. As I walked around to the front door, I felt a shiver run through pretty, which I attributed to the chilly morning air rather than to fear. I knew Franny would be watching me closely, as this was my first assignment, and I knew it was more than just an assignment. It was a test. I felt some satisfaction at how quickly I had gained Pretty's trust. Some aspiring rescue angels never get the hang of that, but for me, that part came easy. But dealing with people, that was a different story. Still holding Pretty in my arms, I managed to open the shelter door and walked in. A woman behind the counter looked up and reacted visibly to the sight of Pretty. Oh my, what happened to this one? She looks awful, poor baby. Pretty started trembling again. Meeting new people was a frightening experience for her. I found her near an abandoned building, a mile or so from here, I said. She was pretty scared, but I think at heart she wants to trust someone. You know, just looking for a little love and acceptance. Yes, aren't they all like that? She reached out to Pretty and touched her head. Pretty whimpered softly, but almost immediately responded to the gentle touch. There, there, the young woman said as she stroked the dog's ear. You're okay now. Everything's going to be fine. She turned to me. I'm Amber. Have I seen you before? You look familiar. That's an old rescue squad trick. We don't look like our previous human form, except maybe just a touch. We adopt a fairly generic and sympathetic face that most people are at ease with. I looked at Amber. Slender features, kind eyes, a few freckles sprinkled around. I was pretty sure I'd seen her while I was alive, but had never met her. I used to live around here, but I've been away for a while. Technically the truth. Do you have room for this little pretty one? When they've been this abused, we always have room. Amber reached out and took pretty from me, softly cooing to her. The vet will be in this afternoon. In the meantime, I'll try to get her cleaned up and tend to her nastier wounds and give her a little something to eat. She might like it if you reverse that order, I said with a light laugh. Amber smiled. You might be right about that. She turned and called toward the back of the shelter. Brooke, can you come and help with the new girl in town? I left about 20 minutes later after I felt pretty, was adjusting okay. I knew it was time to get back to airside. And yes, most of us just call it airside. The word heaven isn't as popular as it carries so many different meanings to different people. As I walked away, I gave a glance skyward. The clouds were clearing and the sun was starting to warm the air. How'd I do, Francis? I didn't expect him to answer but I knew he was watching. I had participated in three training missions as an assistant with increasing degrees of responsibility. I was feeling pretty good about my performances, so maybe I hadn't hit a grand slam, but I was pretty sure I had passed the test. It was time to leave Landside 
and check in with Francis. I looked around for a place to hide my disappearing act. Showy exits are frowned upon, if it can be said that there's any frowning airside. Fortunately, no one was in sight. The shelter was on the edge of a small former mining town, and, like so many towns across the country, it had seen better economic times. Most of the homes and small business buildings were over a century old and looked it. A few doors down from the shelter, I came to a side street. Narrow way, said the street sign. Someone has a sense of humor, I thought. I walked down Narrow Way for a bit, the buildings becoming more dilapidated and uninviting with each step. They were architecturally interesting, but most of these structures were in need of a scrub brush and a paintbrush, and some were in need of the wrecking ball. It was exactly the kind of place I would have avoided when I was alive. But as a rescue angel from Airside, it didn't bother me. It's easy to hug an angel, not so easy to mug one. I couldn't help but wonder what beauty these buildings had exhibited in their youth. I slowly became aware that the feathers on my wings were beginning to rise, as the powers and principalities say. It's just an expression with a rescue squad, of course, although it has a basis in fact. We can sense when things are not right. Probably just because I'm nervous about passing the test, I thought. Silly of me to be worried about. Hey, mister! If it were possible for a rescue angel to jump out of its skin, I would have done so right there on Narrow Way. I may have had nothing to fear landside, but I could still have the wits startled out of me. Turning around, I saw a short elderly woman standing in the entryway of the house on the corner. The house was Victorian, with fancy trim, a turret, and a two-story bay window. Probably years ago, it was the Grand Dame of the block. I wondered if the same was true of the woman. I walked over to her. I could see now that she was quite frail. The robe she was wearing, which was probably white at one time, was worn through in several spots. She could easily be in her 90s. She was about as unintimidating as a landsider could possibly be. Can you help? The cat over there looks hurt. He hasn't moved for the longest time. I looked closely at the lady. She had a kind face, with worry lines creasing her forehead. I don't usually deal with strangers, but you look familiar and nice. My squat face was working again. Um, I don't know. Can you call someone? Jeez, I had to get back to Francis. He had told me to return to Airside immediately upon mission completion. I wasn't to hang around and cause any confusion or trouble among the landsiders. Meandering angels are not a good thing. I'm kind of late for an appointment. Her eyes saddened. But that poor thing! I'm afraid it's suffering! Look! She pointed down the street, and I followed her trembling finger to find out why she was so upset. A black cat was sitting near an old abandoned house. It sat perfectly still, 
and even from a distance, I could see its red wounds. I don't know what happened, said the old woman. Maybe another animal attacked it. But please help. I looked around and saw no one else who might be able to intervene. I looked back at the cat, and my heart sagged in my chest. Someone had to help that suffering creature. Surely the big guy didn't want me to just leave it. Well, Francis, I thought, you might drum me out of the rescue squad for not following instructions, but I can't leave that poor guy alone like that. Sure, let me see if I can help. I have an old cat carrier, if you want to put him in it. I noticed a slight tremble in her voice, and I looked at her more carefully. Was she okay? Great. How about a treat of some sort to tempt him into the cage? I wanted to avoid picking up the cat if I could, as I had no idea how extensive his injuries might be. Hurting him further was not what I wanted to do. I think I have some turkey in here, she said. While she disappeared into the house to check, I approached the black cat. He sat motionless, except for an occasional small turn of the head. When I stood directly over him, he didn't try to run away. I didn't know if he was that tame or that hurt. His injuries which unfortunately were on his face as well as his body, looked pretty bad. I bent down to get a closer look. His inky black fur caught the late morning sun, glistening beautifully among patches of raw red wounds. He turned his head and looked at me. We're going to save you, fella, I said. I hoped that was true. He responded by slightly opening his mouth, as if to tell me something, but no sound came out. Then he started to purr, a rich, vibrant purr, a purr that seemed to come from deep within him, from within his very heart. His green eyes continued to look directly at me. In that moment, we linked on an elementary level. I could sense his emotions, and I knew he was aware of mine. I could feel his pain and confusion and fear. But I also knew he felt a sense of hope in me. I had to banish whatever doubts remained and do my best for this little soul in need. I reached my hand down near his head to test his reaction. To my surprise, he stretched his neck out and rubbed my hand with the side of his face. This brave little one has a heart bigger than I do, I thought. I had to do my best for him. Looking directly into his eyes, I said, Okay, Inky, if you're game, so am I. Let's do this. The woman had returned to her doorway, holding a small pet carrier. I walked over to her and took it, wishing I had a rag to clean it up a bit. How does he look? she asked. He's definitely beat up, I said. I saw no need to go into detail and upset her. I took the piece of turkey from her outstretched hand and found myself wondering if she could spare it.
She was so thin and practically in rags. Was anyone looking after her? Feeling even more worried, I walked back to Inky. He hadn't moved, but he looked up at me again. Don't break my heart any more than it already is, I thought. I placed the turkey meat in the carrier and put the carrier on the ground with the open door directly in front of Inky. I had no idea if he could get up or walk, but I was hopeful. Inky's head immediately whipped around toward the carrier as he caught the scent of the food. He slowly, and I imagine painfully, got up and started to enter the carrier. His back legs didn't seem to be working very well. He made it just into the enclosure, with his rear paws just barely hanging out as he collapsed. I picked up the front end and raised it just enough to let gravity do its work, and he slid cleanly in the rest of the way. I latched the door, and Inky was safely in. I could still hear his purr. Good, I thought. That's a very good sign. Oh, great! You got him! said the woman. I hope he's okay. I'm taking him to the shelter, I said. Their vet can take care of him. Oh, wonderful, she said. I'm so glad you came along. What luck! You're like an angel, sent from above. Yes, I said. What luck indeed. Listen, Mrs. Um... Oh, just call me Violet, she said. Well, Violet, I'm Daniel, and I gently squeezed her hand. I'll come back to let you know how he's doing. And I'll check up on you, too, I thought. When I entered the shelter, I was happy to see Amber sitting at the front desk. I had changed my physical appearance, though, so I wouldn't be the same person who had brought in Pretty. I didn't want to stretch credibility, or worse, appear to be some kind of crazy abuser who passed his time filling up shelters. Oh, dear heavenly angels, what is this? said Amber when she saw Inky through the grill in the carrier. Take him to room C, down the hall. Brooke, she called. Brooke, please start evaluating him. As I passed Amber, I said, I think he's hurt badly, and there's an issue with his hind legs. Brooke's our best tech, she said, and Dr. Thompson's due any minute. She can look at him right away. Depositing the carrier on the exam table, I took a last look at him. Hang in there, Inky. These kind people are going to pull out all the stops for you. He turned his head, and once again I felt his green eyes revealing his soul. A warmth radiated through me, and a feeling of gratitude coming directly from Inky. You hang in there, and pull through, I thought, and I knew Inky understood. I left a few minutes later, after Amber assured me that Inky would be given the best possible care. I have to get back, I thought. I sure hope Pretty and Inky are going to be okay, and Francis will be beside himself. But I must see Violet. Okay, Daniel, here comes the hard part. After I told Violet that Inky was being cared for, she invited me in for tea. The house was quite chilly, not a surprise for such an old place. 
but I wondered if she could afford to keep it properly warm. She made a pot of tea from a single tea bag, and we shared three less-than-fresh crackers with a bit of cheese and a couple of cookies. I wished right then and there that I could do a loaves and fishes with crackers and cookies. Violet told me she had been married to a successful and popular dentist, and although they were never able to have children, they were very happy together. Everybody loved Robert, she said. He was warm and clever and funny, always the life of the party. Yes, we had quite the social circle. She paused for a sip of tea. Then it happened. Robert was killed in an automobile accident. He was only forty. I could hear the pain in her voice. I reached out and placed my hand over hers. It was something I never would have done while alive. But now, how could I not? I'm so sorry, was all I could manage. When she excused herself to the powder room, I rather unangelically peeked into her pantry and refrigerator. As I suspected, she didn't have much. Francis, what do I do? I thought. Whether from Francis or my own mind, a thought suddenly blossomed. My niece was involved in a charitable organization that would be perfect for Violet. One more stop, Francis, I thought, and then I promise I'm coming back. When I left Violet, I went to see some landside angels of mercy. Then I was done, probably forever, if I had done as badly as I thought I had. Okay, Franny, I'm coming home to face the music. I found a secluded spot about two blocks away. After looking around to make sure I was alone, I vanished from landside, fearing the worst. When I returned to airside, Francis was there to greet me. I didn't see that as a good thing. I was sure he was there to reprimand me and to tell me I had failed the test and was out of the rescue squad. He was smiling, though. I mean, Francis was always smiling. I think that's part of the reason all creatures, great and small, like him. But did he smile even when he was delivering bad news? And if I had failed... This was going to be heartbreaking news. Congratulations, Daniel, Francis said as he embraced me. You made me proud. I was stunned. What? I blew it. I disobeyed you. I failed the test. No, said Francis. You passed, and in a big way. He released me from his strong grip, took a step back, and put his hands on my shoulders. He lowered his voice to an almost conspiratorial level. Even the big guy was impressed. Welcome to the squad! I imagine I looked as dumb as I felt. But, but I didn't come back when the test was over. You had told me that no matter what else happened, I was to depart Landside immediately. Yes, I told you that. Francis said, looking unconvincingly stern. And I didn't do it. I literally hung my head in shame. I allowed myself to be distracted by poor Inky, then Violet, 
and I didn't follow your orders. Precisely, said Francis, his countenance now lit by a smile. That was the test. Not the bit with pretty, as you called her. Oh, we were watching that all right. Pretty is recovering nicely and should be ready for adoption in a few weeks. But the real test was what you did when confronted with the unexpected. Could you see the true priorities, or would you be consumed by rules that can't cover all possibilities? Inky and Violet were the real test. I was stunned. So, so I did the right thing? When can spreading kindness and compassion be the wrong thing? Helping a poor widow in need? That's taking a page right out of the master's book. Francis was beaming. I had become aware, as he was talking, of the nearness of another soul. A gentle soul. And a feeling of gratitude. Then I felt soft fur against my ankles and heard a beautiful, rich purr. I looked down, and there was Inky, circling me, arching his back, looking up at me shyly. Inky, it's you! I was ecstatic. His black fur was smooth and perfect. Then the implication hit me. I looked at Francis. But if he's here now, he didn't... No, he didn't make it said Francis. He was too badly injured. But your purpose there wasn't to perform a miracle. By rescuing him, you made his last hours so much better. The last thing he knew, Landside was a gentle touch, and kind people caring for him. I learned in that moment that it's possible to have tears in heaven. I wish I could have done more, Francis gave me a sympathetic look. Without you, Inky would have died alone, afraid and in pain. You gave him the best gift you could have. I reached down and picked up the black cat. He began purring more loudly. Yes, Inky, I did the best I could. His green eyes met mine, and I once again felt the surge of warmth, the connecting and a bond deepening. Violet is also receiving the care and assistance she needs, thanks to you, said Francis. I know how hard that was for you, but you did it. Pretty, Inky, and Violet. Really, I'm so very proud of you. And some of the kindest eyes in the universe warmed my soul. Francis reached out a hand to softly scratch Inky's back. You take some time with Inky now, but not too long. A rescue squad member's work is never done, he said, giving me his wonderful smile again. And unless I missed my guess, you've made an eternal friend. I think you've found your rescue squad partner. It was my turn to smile. I gave Inky a soft stroke on his head. What do you think, Inky? You and me? Let's go make a difference down there. And that's exactly what we did. The End
You just listened to The Test by Joe Potts. Read to you by your door-to-door storyteller, Michael Timmons. Thank you for listening. Used by We Are One Body Audio Theater with the permission of the licensor. Granted under a copyrighted license agreement. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theater.